Well, this morning our sermon text comes from Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11. And so I'd invite you now to turn to this passage. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11. This is God's word. Listen attentively to it. The Lord Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his sons asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Let us go before the Lord and ask him for good things this morning. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning with this passage in our mind and we beseech you in prayer. We ask, Lord, that you would give us instruction from your word about how to pray. And we pray, Lord, that you would cause us to come before you with boldness, not fear, not anxiety. That you would, come, that you would cause us to come before you in prayer, Lord, knowing that you are there ready to hear us. Remind us, O oh Lord, that you are, lovingly, you are our loving Heavenly Father, and we are your children. Cause us now, O oh Lord, to act like your children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, just as we discussed, uh, as we looked at last week's passage, uh, that it gets misused, it gets wrenched out of context, it gets pulled out and, and attempted to say things that the passage itself simply does not say. This morning's passage is frequently quoted out of context as well. And these few verses are sometimes quoted to support some sort of name-it-and-claim-it gospel, some sort of prosperity gospel, which has nothing to do with the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. It is another gospel, make no mistake. And this line of, per- this line of thinking permeates our culture. You do not have to tune in to the TV, the TV evangelist, the prosperity preacher, in order to have this kind of thinking enter into your head. You don't have to go to one of those churches to think that you, have, you are entitled to certain things in this life. It permeates the culture in which we live. And so it is certainly tempting for us, those of us who live inside this culture, this materialistic culture, to think to ourselves when we hear Jesus say, ask and it will be given to you, it is tempting for us to immediately think of all the things, all of the earthly treasures that we would love to have. And to think that Jesus is commanding us here to ask for those things. There's that little part of each of us that's like children at Christmas time. Who can't wait to find out what they've been given. To find out what's under the Christmas tree. And in a society that highly prizes material possessions, it is almost instinctive to think of the material things as the greatest gift that God could give to us. This is, in many ways, the limit of our prayers. 
But Jesus' aim this morning is to show that there are far more valuable gifts that God our Father can give to us. And this passage is fundamentally about prayer. Ask, seek, knock. And this is obviously not the first instruction that Jesus has given us on on prayer, is it? Early in chapter 6, he taught about the pitfalls that we are to avoid in prayer. We're not to be like the hypocrites who stand on the street corners. We're not to be like the pagans who try to wear down their gods by vain and empty prayers. And then he gave us an example of how to pray using the Lord's Prayer. And now in this morning's passage, Jesus teaches that if we are God's adopted children, if we have been bought, if we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, that we have a right and a privilege to come before the Lord Jesus, to come before God our Heavenly Father in prayer. And even to expect that He will hear our prayers, that He will respond and give us the things that we ask. Well, I ask you then to think about this as we work our way through these few verses. If the desire of our hearts is to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, Jesus promises that our Father will answer our prayers. If the desires of our hearts are to seek God's kingdom first, to first seek His kingdom and His righteousness, then God will answer our prayers. I've divided this passage into two sections. The promises of Jesus, verses 7 and 8, and the goodness of your heavenly Father, verses 9 to 11. Again, the promises of Jesus, verses 7 to 8, and the goodness of your heavenly Father, verses 9 to 11. So let's first look at verses 7 and 8. In verse 7, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Jesus uses three different words here to express the idea of prayer. Ask, seek, knock. And these are commands. These words in the original language are in the imperative. And what's more, they are intended. Uh, Jesus, when he spoke this, he intended for you to persistently ask of your heavenly Father. To persistently seek. To persistently knock. We are to frequently make our requests known to God. Now, we need to emphasize this again. It's already been noted that this this verse has been poorly used by some folks in some quarters to justify asking for all kinds of things. But if we look at the surrounding context, what can we determine about what Jesus is actually talking about here? What is he teaching when he says that your Father will give you good things? What are those good things? Is Jesus saying, like the prosperity gospel teachers tell us, is he saying that we should ask for uh, that fine and fancy car, or ask for all kinds of wealth, and that God will give us that? There's, there's this language among, among, almost universally among those who preach this kind of gospel, that if you sow, you will reap a harvest of wealth. Well, is that what Jesus is talking about here? Or is he speaking of some other type of request? Well, this is where, if it were possible, to preach on the Sermon on the Mount in one sermon, to take chapters 5 through chapter 7 and preach on it in one sermon, if that were possible, it would be very helpful for us this morning because then you you would gain a a, a swath, a large uh, overview of what is taking place in this book. As it is, we began the Sermon on the Mount back in February. 
And we're continuing on through it. We've got a few more weeks to go. But what is the main purpose? What is the main focus of Jesus uh, in this Sermon on the Mount? Well, at the very least, his main purpose is to direct us toward the kingdom of God. He comes, he mentions the kingdom of God time and time again throughout this sermon. It is a very important uh, emphasis that Jesus has in this sermon. He's giving us an overview of how we as citizens of God's kingdom are to live in this life. And so he gives us kingdom ethics, citizen ethics, how we're to behave. And you remember, he treats all these various aspects of, of the ethics. He talks about various laws from the Old Testament. He talks about the Sixth Commandment, the Seventh Commandment. He talks about how if you, uh, not only do you break the, uh, the Seventh Commandment by committing adultery, but you can break it by having lust in your heart for another person. And what he's saying is that it is very difficult, it's much more difficult for us to keep God's commands than we ever imagined. It is much more difficult to live as citizens of God's kingdom than we think. Primarily, then, when Jesus says to ask, to seek, and to knock, he is saying that those who would follow after him need to do everything we can to find his kingdom. And we need to do everything we can, then, once we are in the kingdom, to continue in the kingdom, to walk according to God's commands. But let me ask you this. If this is the case, if this is the emphasis, then... Are the ethics, are the commands that Jesus gives in this Sermon on the Mount for living as a citizens of God's kingdom, are they the roadmap to citizenship in the kingdom? In other words, if you obey everything that Jesus commands in this sermon, will that then make you a citizen of God's kingdom? No. No. And this is the mistake that the Pharisees made. This is the way that the Pharisees viewed the Ten Commandments and the rest of the Old Testament laws. They believed that not only was it possible to keep perfectly the Ten Commandments and the other 603 laws of the Old Testament, they believed that they could do it. And that they did do it. And that by keeping these laws, these regulations, that they were earning their place in God's kingdom. As a result of this, they thought that they were entitled to God's favor. They thought that they would escape his judgment. And you're clearly, you're, you're completely aware of the fact that Jesus reserves his sternest, his most strong condemnation for the Pharisees, doesn't he? He calls them hypocrites. He tells them later on in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 23 that they are white, whitewashed tombs. He said that outwardly they appear righteous to others, but within they were full of hypocrisy and of lawlessness. You can't find the kingdom of God by perfectly keeping all of his commands because it is impossible to keep God's commands perfectly. You cannot do it. And neither could the Pharisees. And that should have been obvious to the Pharisees in their reading of the Old Testament. But Jesus made it even more obvious in his teaching on the Old Testament law. You and I have no hope of keeping God's commands because we are sinners. We are the worst of sinners. We have no hope of finding God's kingdom on our own. Therefore, what is our only option? To ask, 
to seek, to knock, to go before the Lord in prayer. That is all we can do. The kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom, are the pearl of great price. And this is the great treasure that each of us should be seeking. Now, what does it require? If we're going to seek after this, what, what makes us want to seek after this? Well, obviously, God's, God's Spirit. God's Spirit enables us by calling us to Himself. Without, without God's Spirit making us alive in the first place, we would never seek God's kingdom. But we must recognize by, by the Spirit's power our own human inability to keep God's law, to keep any part of God's commands. We must ask for God's Spirit to guide us and to strengthen us. And how do we do this? Well, if, it depends on where you are and you're standing before the Lord. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've never publicly professed faith in Him, if you haven't embraced Him as your Savior, then the Bible commands you to repent. To repent of your sins and to turn to the Lord Jesus in faith and embrace Him as your Savior. But if you're already walking on the path, if you've already been made citizens of the kingdom of God, what do you do? Well, it's really no different, is it? <laughs> you still must repent of your sins and believe every single day. And how do we do this? We do it by constantly going to the Lord in prayer. We constantly seek the Lord. We seek His righteousness. We seek His kingdom. And we do this because we have no righteousness in and of ourselves. And to those who truly seek, to those who are truly coming to the Lord in prayer, Jesus gives these promises in verse 8. He says, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it shall be opened. These are the promises that God gives His people. God will hear you. And He will give you that which you ask for. Now you can tell what you truly value by looking at the things that you desire deep down in your heart. And Jesus promises that if you truly desire the kingdom of God, if you desire that pearl of great price, that God will give you what you ask for. You will receive. This is the promise that Jesus gives. Well, let's look now at verses 9 to 11. The goodness of your heavenly Father. In verses 9 to 11, Jesus uses another logical argument to prove his point. He did this in the passage we looked at last week. He does it again this week. And this one is an argument from the lesser to the greater. He says in these verses, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven Give good things to those who ask him. Now, just as in the previous passage, Jesus uses a ridiculous example, doesn't he? He uses two examples to make his point here. And his point to his listeners is you need to be praying. Why aren't you? Why don't you do this? What are you afraid of? Does a human parent give his child a stone when, when, when he's asked for bread? Does a human parent give his child a snake when, he's at, when he asks for fish? Of course not. 
Human parents don't do these things. Human parents who are evil don't do these things. Why do you think your heavenly father, who is good and gracious and merciful and who loves you as his children, would do such a thing? So why? Why are you not praying? What is your excuse for not coming to your heavenly father in prayer? This is what Jesus is asking here by this sort of uh, hyped up example, these examples that he's using. Now I should just pause here for one moment and point out uh, one important aspect of verse 11. That in verse 11, Jesus acknowledges the inherent sinfulness of the human heart. He says there, if you then who are evil. The sinfulness of our heart is simply a matter of fact for Jesus. He states it as an obvious fact. If human beings were inherently good, what follows would not be so remarkable, would it? If we're inherently good, then Jesus can't even make this argument. But if we who are evil give good gifts to our children, how much more does God, who is pure good, give good gifts to his children? Well, God is infinitely more good than we are. And he is ready to hear our prayers. That is what Jesus is saying. And John Calvin of these verses says this, Nothing is better adapted to excite us to prayer than a full conviction that we should be heard. God hears us when we pray. So why don't we pray? Well, this is exactly what Jesus is saying in this passage. Ask and you will be heard by your heavenly Father. So knowing this, why don't we pray more often than we do? Well, there are many reasons why we don't pray like we should, aren't there? There are distractions that the world imposes upon us. There are all kinds of things that that cause us uh, to, to even forget to pray at times. For many of us, the main reason we don't pray is out of laziness or complacency. We've been lulled by the enemy of our souls into a state of slumber. To the point that we no longer think of praying, except at uh, the last minute, we throw up some sort of prayer in the hopes that God will hear it as we're on our way out the door. And in C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters, the demon Screwtape, who was a mentor to his nephew, Wormwood, tells Wormwood this. He says, the best thing where it is possible is to keep the patient from the serious intention of praying altogether. He should be persuaded to aim at something entirely spontaneous, inward, informal, unregularized. Now, of course, this is a work of fiction. It's, a, it's, a, it's the work of a man's imagination, and yet there's some truth to this, isn't it? Our enemy wants us to be distracted from prayer. And if we happen to think about prayer, by no means uh, does he want us to give any great thought to it. It should be off the cuff, off the top of our heads, without any consideration of deep uh, and important things. As long as we can be deceived into thinking that there is no or very little reason to pray, we will be complacent about praying. What do we do about this complacency? How do we counter it? You must remind yourselves again and again that we are at war. We are in a battle. It is life and death. And the enemy of our souls, as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, the enemy of our souls is prowling around like a lion seeking someone to devour. He wants to tear us to shreds. As they say, there are no atheists in foxholes. 
The most unlikely person you would imagine in the military will bow down if he thinks his life is in danger by a mortal enemy. This is where we are. Our flesh cannot withstand our enemy. We are not strong enough, humanly speaking, to do this. We must go to the Lord in prayer. This will break us. This knowledge that we are at war will break us of our laziness, of our complacency. If we truly realized how strong our enemy was, we would constantly go in prayer to the one who is even stronger than our enemy. Well, another reason we don't pray is that deep down we think prayer is unnecessary. We know that we should pray. We read these commands that we should pray. We understand that Jesus expects us to pray. But we look around and we see plenty of other people who don't pray. And they have everything that they need. They have everything we have. They have more than we have. But they live a pagan life. And so we say to ourselves, there's something in the back of our minds or in our subconscious that says, why should I pray? And when our complacency has grown and we go for a few days without praying and we realize that our lives lives continue and we're getting the things that we need, this thought, this this deep-seated thought that it is unnecessary is reinforced. But we forget that God graciously gives the basic necessities of life to everyone. We just read earlier in, in the Sermon on the Mount that God causes the rain to pour down on the just and the unjust alike, that he causes his sun to shine on believer and unbeliever. God gives the basic necessities to everyone. This is God's common grace, and we should be thankful for it. But what doesn't flow out of God's common grace to everyone are the gifts and the benefits of redemption. These don't go out to everyone. These are limited. And when Jesus commands us to ask, to seek, and to knock, it is not material blessings that he's referring to here. It is spiritual blessings. Daily forgiveness, deliverance from evil, peace, the increase of faith, hope, and love. These are things that you will not be given as a natural consequence of being a human being. These are things that come to you from your heavenly Father who loves you, and they come to you in part because you ask. In the parallel passage in Luke chapter 11, instead of the Father giving good things to his children, as Matthew says here, Jesus says he will give his Holy Spirit to those who ask him. The Holy Spirit is the good thing, the ultimate good thing, the ultimate great gift that our Heavenly Father gives to us. And this is why we should pray to the Lord. Well, at least one other reason why we might not pray is that we have come to see prayer as unproductive. We have all prayed. Each one of us has prayed for something and our prayers have not been answered in the way we desired. We ask God to heal loved ones who are sick and they, do not, uh, they are not healed. We pray for those uh, who are out of work or for ourselves who are seeking work and it is not provided. And so we think that God doesn't hear us. We think prayer is unproductive. We think that it does not work. Well, have you ever stopped to think about what your life would be like if God did answer every prayer that you've lifted up to Him, answered every prayer that you've thrown up to Him at the last minute without any thought as you're going out the door? Have you ever thought about that? The Bible scholar Alec Motyer has said, if it were the case that whatever we ask God was pledged to give then I, for one, would never pray again. 
Because I would not have sufficient confidence in my own wisdom to ask God for anything. It would impose an intolerable burden on frail human wisdom if by his prayer promises God was pledged, if he was obligated to give whatever we ask. Can you imagine the things that would be sitting in your driveway if, you, if God gave you the things that you asked for all these various times of, in your life? God gives us only the good things that he in his wisdom knows that we need. And after we have walked with Christ for a while, we realize that many of our earlier prayers, if granted, would have done great damage to our souls. And it's because we're immature. And we don't see the big picture. Well, God in his wisdom seeks to protect us, protect us from the world around us, as well as the great enemy of our souls. But he also protects us from ourselves. When in our ignorance we ask for something, but don't know what it is that we truly need. Well, Jesus knows that we are disinclined to pray. And so he commands us to do it. If God has claimed you as his own, and you have come to Christ in repentance and faith, then you should be praying. You have been adopted into God's family. He is your heavenly father. He knows what you need before you ask it. And yet he wants you to ask. And the more you pray, the more you come to know God the more you realize that he doesn't exist solely for the purpose of spoiling you with earthly treasures, counter to what these prosperity preachers want to tell us. And the more you come to know God, the more you come to know what you truly need. When you pray to God, you're not asking that God will change and conform to your wants and desires. When you pray to God, you're asking that you will be changed to his desires. That your heart will desire what God wants. And that he will give you that thing which you truly need. That thing which is truly good. And you will see that God has been answering your prayers all along. Both by granting you what you have requested, but also by not granting you what you have requested. He is faithful. He hears you as his children. And he gives you what you need. Let us come before him now and pray. Gracious God, thank you that you, through your son, have taught us how we are to pray. You've taught us what not to pray, how not to pray. And now you've taught us, O oh Lord, to come before you with boldness, knowing that you hear us in prayer. Lord, we pray that you would remove the, the, the barriers, the impediments in our lives that make it difficult for us to pray. Expose our hearts to us, O oh Lord. Help us to see our complacency. Help us to see, O oh Lord, that we don't really believe that prayer works. Lord, help us to trust in you. And we pray, Lord, that you would show us how you do answer our prayers, that you would build up our faith and trust in you. So that we, O oh Lord, would be faithful stewards. That we would be faithful and obedient children. And that we would walk according to all that you have commanded us. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.